You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. This week, I am so excited to welcome Dr. Wendy Davis to the show. Dr. Wendy is the Executive Director of Postpartum Support International, the world's largest perinatal mental health organization. She began her career as a psychotherapist and specialized in perinatal mental health after recovering from her own postpartum depression and anxiety. Dr. Wendy is an international educator, works with healthcare systems and government agencies, and trains social support specialists and professionals in perinatal mental health. As a matter of fact, all of our mom therapists are trained by Postpartum Support International, the organization that Wendy runs. I've asked Dr. Wendy to join us today to talk about the partner's role in a mother's mental health. Is a partner's role important in the postpartum period and why? What symptoms can partner be aware of to keep an eye out for? And in what ways can they help and intervene if they notice that a mom is struggling and is not themselves in the postpartum period? We answer all of these questions and so many more in this really vulnerable and open conversation today. Let's hear my conversation with Executive Director, Dr. Wendy Davis. The postpartum period is a major transition in your life. Overnight, you went from being able to care for yourself to having a little baby rely on you for every need. Sleep deprivation, crying, uncertainty in your parenting choices, these can all take a toll on your mental health. While baby blues are normal and will resolve on their own in a few weeks, many moms suffer from more. If you find yourself irritable, depressed, anxious, experiencing loss of interest in the things you used to enjoy, or simply feeling unlike yourself, you could be experiencing postpartum depression or anxiety. It might be time to seek help. The Happy as a Mother Wellness Center can connect you with a maternal mental health therapist. We offer teletherapy services, allowing us to connect anywhere with secure and convenient appointments that save you time and hassle. You can access much needed mental health care from your desktop, laptop, tablet, or phone. Your mental health matters. Take the first step towards wellness by booking a free 15-minute consultation with a mom therapist near you. Visit happyasamother.co slash book to schedule your free consult today. That's happyasamother.co slash book. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we're dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. We all had expectations going into motherhood, but reality often has a different plan. Let's work together in shattering unrealistic expectations, letting go of shame and guilt, and accepting where we are on our motherhood journey. We'll pack a toolbox for motherhood with expert advice, practical tips, relatable stories, real moments, and honest conversations. My goal is to give you the knowledge, tools, and resources you need to parent more freely. However, this podcast should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. It's time to do motherhood differently, toss out the idea of perfect, and enjoy the journey. Let's dive in. Wendy, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us today. Executive Director of Postpartum Support International, we 
promote you guys all the time, segue to you, send people your way. And I'm just really excited to have you with us today. I am so happy to be here. I love your work. I love your message and everything that I'm seeing communicating with other pregnant postpartum people. And I'm just really excited to be here with you, Erica. Your journey through school and being a therapist, how does that lead you into like leading an organization like Postpartum Support International? That's quite a journey. It is quite a journey. And I often feel now when I, and I think this is true for all of us, when I look back over the journey and I look at the course of my life, I realize that so much was not written by me, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And it's probably good because my script would be kind of boring. I mean, I wouldn't want to be unhappy or hurt in crisis or scared ever. I wouldn't want to lose anybody. But when I look back, it's honestly those times of difficulty, including my own postpartum experience that have almost deepened me and then in recovery have made me stronger and lighter. Mm and have more perspective in general. So to answer that question, I always have been kind of a, you would say, counselor type. I like to listen. I love to think about how people are feeling and talking and engaging. So I'm kind of by birth, kind of the observer, listener, person. You know, even when I was little, I'm kind of was the comforter. I didn't have a lot of words. So I'm always interested in that. And I never intended to become a specialist in what we now call perinatal mental health. Hmm. That phrase didn't even exist, honestly, in a way, even when I went through my own journey with postpartum depression. So in the beginning, it's really more that I was a counselor type. And when I was in college, I became a peer counselor at a peer counseling center that was called the Sexual Information and Counseling Center. Mm -hmm. So also very interested in women's health and in peer support, which I find really interesting now because it's so much what I do in my career. But at Mm -hmm. that time, I just wanted to learn and be available. So we counseled people about women's health, about gender, about birth control, about staying healthy, and also about depression, anxiety, and all that. It's so interesting, right? So I studied psychology, and my study included both what's called psychobiology, like really understanding how the brain and the body work together, and then holistic health, this other side of me that wants to know about all kinds of healing, still not knowing exactly where that would take me. And there's a point where I'm like, am I going to go be a midwife? Am I going to be pre-med and be a midwife? Am I going to be a counselor or something else, right? So When I graduated from college, I decided to go ahead and become a psychotherapist. And here's the journey, is that I was a psychotherapist for a decade before I ever had a baby. And I Mm -hmm. specialized in depression, in anxiety, in transitions. I worked with lots and lots of parents. In fact, my core specialty was creative process and performance. And it wasn't until I had my first baby that I had any understanding, the crash course in -hmm. postpartum depression and anxiety. And what propels me now, Erica, is this, is that despite being a specialist in depression, knowing how all about anxiety, when I had postpartum depression, I didn't recognize that I was depressed. Mm -hmm. It's like being a meteorologist in the middle of a hurricane not recognizing it's a hurricane. And if that were to happen, 
How scary would that be for a meteorologist? Well, how scary is it for every person who lands in the world of pregnancy or postpartum depression, anxiety, panic attacks, bipolar mood disorder, or psychosis, any of it? The real motivator is this. Despite my training, despite my specialty, and despite the fact that, as I said, I've understood depression, anxiety my whole life, when I had it, the very symptoms of it made me think I failed, I made a mistake, I shouldn't be a mom, I'm not in the club, I'm not happy as a mother, Mm. I'm broken, and I can't tell anybody. Mm -hmm. By that point, as a therapist, I'm kind of the queen of let's talk about it, and I didn't. Because the symptoms of depression are to shut down, to blame yourself, be overcome by exhaustion and pessimism. And anytime you're depressed, anytime in your life, the things you usually love, you don't feel the love. That's a diagnosis, right? If you're depressed and you usually love dancing, you don't love it. You can't feel it. It, You can't kind of get it up, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're depressed and you usually just love cooking, when you're depressed, you don't, that's literally what happens. So when you're depressed and you have a baby, you're not feeling the love and everyone has told you best time of your life. You'll be a great mom. I am so happy. The reality is that the very symptoms themselves make you think you weren't meant to do this. So once I recovered, I just turned my life around and have ever since been devoted to understanding everything I could about mental health and emotions during pregnancy, postpartum, and perinatal loss. Mm. And then I started volunteering to help other parents and started a little local support group, which is now a big local support group, Baby Blues Connection in Portland, Oregon. And I just kept volunteering and being a therapist. So I still had a therapy practice, became a specialist and learned everything I could. And at some point after all of this volunteering, I was hired as the first executive director of Postpartum Support International. And my life gave me this experience. At this point, not only do I have no regrets over that crisis and that suffering, I'm so grateful for it. And I'm grateful also that I have had a little boy who's now a beautiful young adult Mm. who has grown up with his sister, who came three years later, knowing if you don't feel good, find someone to talk to. If you Mm -hmm. don't know what to do, ask for help. If another person is suffering, reach out and teach them. And I have these beautiful children who've grown up not thinking, oh, what happened to my mom? Why was she depressed? Mm -hmm. Thinking, wow, that's what you do when you don't Mm -hmm. feel right, when you need some help, you reach out and maybe you start a group. And next thing you know, maybe all these other people are helping you help other people. That's what our children are learning And people who are going through this need to know you're not broken, you're not alone, Mm. and also your children are not broken. They're not harmed. And my children are informed by this experience to say, that's what you do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So long answer, but I can't help it. It's a big journey and you hit it, right? I see myself in your journey and I talk about it on the podcast all the time, how I had been in the mental health field for 10 years, a decade myself. I had been through a master's degree. I'd worked in a children and family practice. Not once had I encountered perinatal mental health. And then I had three children in the span of three and a half years, four years. 
And I was in the depths of postpartum anxiety and depression as a therapist, like you said, sitting in it and not able to identify what it was. And while that was a very hard time and I would never want to return to that place, that has informed every part of my platform and what I do. And it has also given me a nuanced perspective to what it feels like to be in depression versus what depression looks like on a textbook sort of list or how anxiety and overwhelm might feel in those moments. And so I find it so similar with many people who are very passionate about this field is like, we were totally blindsided by it at some point, this whole motherhood thing, and now just have a like a heart or a desire to educate others and spread awareness so that they don't have to suffer unnecessarily, right? And as you are doing too in your work, and as I know that you see this and feel this and live this, at first we think we're helping people so they don't suffer. And we are every single day. But the other thing is we're reaching out so that they can be with us and join us in feeling and making meaning out of the suffering. Because we can't prevent suffering, honestly, right. in being human, but we really can make something different of it. And that's the real thing is that me volunteering for so long, there was a time I was volunteering more than I was working. Sorry, husband. But mm-hmm. I had to, but also I was making meaning. And then as I learned to reach out and connect with other people and learn the power of training and mobilizing volunteers, peer supporters, Now it really starts to sing because now there's no question about how we make meaning out of that suffering, right, Erica? And that Mm -hmm. then Mm -hmm. I went from, you know, being with two other women starting a group here to now with PSI, we have over 600 volunteers and we have over 40 employees. And when I started, there were two of us. So it's partly not suffering for the immediate help seeker who needs help today, and for the families that need help today. And then there's that other part, how we come back around and give back and feel like, oh, that's why I'm here. And Mm -hmm. honestly, Erica, my baby, my first baby is 27 this year. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely, as you can hear, I still feel it when I talk about it. I still carry that little mom, that mama with me, Mm -hmm. that scared mom that didn't know that she would make it through. And sometimes I feel like I'm always the kind of looking back and trying to shine a light back to her saying, you got it, you got it. Mm-hmm. And now as an organization, that's what we're doing. You got it. We got you. Like yeah. we've been there. We know that you think you, quote, don't really have postpartum depression. You're just broken. We lived that. Mm. And to be able to go back and say, if you want to also volunteer, we got room. We got lots of need for you. If you want to get trained, you be a, a therapist, a doula, a nurse, a pastor, a partner, a volunteer. We got trainings. And then that keeps growing. And that's, Erica, why what I needed so badly and what you needed so badly is for everybody to know pregnancy and postpartum depression anxiety is actually really common. There's lots mm-hmm. of resources. What there isn't is lots of awareness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I was going over the PSI website in preparation for this interview, and I'm scrolling through the team, and I'm just like, man, alive! Like this is a beast of an organization, and I'm growing a Canadian wellness center, a team of specialized therapists to serve coast to coast in Canada. 
And one of our recommendations is that they're, or like one of our requirements actually, is that they are trained through PSI and they have the specialized training. So when I think about an organization that is putting a standard to this care, it's the work that PSI is doing. It's incredible. I just had an inkling that holistic health was going to be important. I also had an inkling that psychobiology and neuroscience was going to be important. Isn't it reassuring to know the organization happens to parallel really well with that holistic journey that I happen to go on, which is it's not just medical. Mm -hmm. So the organization's not just medical and our prevention efforts aren't and our trainings aren't. It's not just social support, but we need the social support and it's not just medical, but we need the medical and it's not just therapy, but we need the therapists and we need the doulas and we need occupational therapists and the lactation consultants. And so isn't it reassuring to know our trainings cover all of that? And they're, they're extensive for that reason. But you and I both know, and people listening know, the reason for that is the causes of postpartum and pregnancy, depression, anxiety, and bipolar disorder. They're made up of all these different factors, and so mm-hmm. is prevention of the crisis. So when we train providers, we want to train them on all those different parts the physical, the psychological, the environmental, and the spiritual. And now we're also really thinking about what else is there culturally, environmentally. We're oppressed sometimes by our own hormonal vulnerability. This is one of the causes, part Mm -hmm. of the cause. We're also oppressed by our environment, by racism and discrimination and lack of access. And we are training and responding to help seekers with all of that knowledge But the fact that so many of the people in PSI, the trainers and the volunteers and the director and the board have lived experience and expertise from that Hmm. grounds everything we do in what you said, Erica, which is we can learn how to be psychologists and social workers and nurses in school, but we're informed differently by our lived experience and we bring it. Mm -hmm to our work with clients or friends or in our teaching. We bring that information once we've recovered and can really wrap our heads around, I understand what happened and the kind of messages that people need to hear when they're so scared and blaming themselves and worried it'll never get better. Mm -hmm. One of the things that stands out to me about the platform is the branch that supports partners and dads and acknowledges their role in this postpartum period and time, even pregnancy, even trying to conceive potentially, um, you know. And I had my husband on for episode 100 to celebrate the podcast, and we went through my postpartum depression and anxiety through his experience, and we like unpacked it a little bit. And it was his like willingness to get involved and say, okay, like we're going to call the doctor and we're going to like, and kind of execute this plan when he saw that I was struggling. So partners play such an essential role here. And they also, of course, and we can touch on as well, their own mental health and the transition that they're going through. But how important is that role as the partner and what puzzle piece does it fit in here when we're talking about postpartum and awareness and all of that? I'm just really glad you asked that question. So the first thing I want to say about that is that there are all kinds of partners, not just as we talk about in PSI and you are are using in your own language, 
same-sex couples, you know, fluid, non-binary couples, and not only in that way, but when you think about who helps a birthing person, a mom, a dad, get through this transition, you also have partners like grandparents, Hmm. best friends, neighbors. If we're lucky, we have those kind of partners. And I never want to, you know, embark on a conversation about partners without acknowledging, first of all, any person doing this as a single person, you get extra points right off the bat. Mm-hmm. You do. Mm-hmm. Don't let anyone tell you, well, you know what? You get extra. Mm-hmm. You are really working double. And even with great friends and family, is a big, big job to be doing this as a single, unpartnered person. Mm-hmm. So I want to say that. And for those who are single, look for your partners by biology. You need them in traditional societies. No person, no woman would birth alone without someone to help her in a community traditionally. So we have to get to that to be well. We really do. So I had to say that first. And then now think about what we're saying about partners. And that includes women and their husbands. And that includes men and their wives and men and their husbands and women and their wives. And it includes all of it. And yeah. includes people who are married and not married. But this is the role of partners. If you have somebody there, one of the things that happens when one of the people is depressed or anxious is going back to what we talked about in the beginning. The person who's depressed doesn't think they're depressed. And so one of the most important roles a partner of any kind can play is to really have faith in the person who is going through the difficulty. Have faith, have confidence take care of their own self so they have some energy, some space, they don't burn out. And that requires that you are allowing your family to reach out, not because you're failing as parents, but because that's what parents do traditionally. Mm -hmm. We should be using our community. So partners can be that very voice that says, I'm going to call someone and have them bring dinner. Or you don't need to clean the house every Mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. What happens a lot of the times, honestly, in lots of relationships is we have people, especially women, contacting us, calling us and saying, you know what, my husband gets mad if the house isn't clean and I am really crying all day and I can't even figure out how to breathe. Hmm. And we have to almost do that kind of negotiation to say, let's make sure this partner understands this is a temporary and treatable thing you're going through this postpartum depression, this anxiety, it's going to get better. It will get better faster, like any illness, if we attend to it now. And so reminding that partner to have some patience to say, all right, we're in this time period. It won't stay like this, but right now, this person who is suffering is not making it up, needs extra support. And if I can't give the support, part of that person's role is to help find the extra support. Mm -hmm. So, I know for me, my partners, my main partner was my husband. My husband didn't know anything about postpartum depression, anxiety, or anything about mental health for that matter. And I remember crystal clear the kinds of things he said to me that were helpful. Here's one. I remember lying in bed and I was shaking with anxiety. I'm going to cry again. Mm -hmm. Crying. Mm -hmm. And he said, He's not a therapist. He's not trying to be savvy about it. He's just saying the truth. And he says, You know, Wendy, You need two things right now that you don't have, time and confidence, but you'll have them. And until then, 
I believe in you. Hmm. You're still there. Mm -hmm. And I think about what he said so much when I talk to other people. Time and confidence. You don't have them yet, but you will. Mm -hmm. So that's part of it is believing in her, shining a light back that I can see you getting better. I have a whole list of things that I've written out how you a partner can help. Questions like, how can I help you right now? If she's getting angry and irritable and ragey, that's a symptom. Mm -hmm. It's not your fault. You might have triggered it, sure enough. But you can teach yourself to say things like, here's the sandwich. I'm like, don't even ask the question. Like, Mm. get the food. (laughs) Make sure her blood sugar is kind of stable. Like, hey, want some pasta? (laughs) Um, But also, like, know when to call it a little bit. Like, this is an example I could say. I want to really help you. And I know we're going to get through this moment. Why don't we take a break right now? And we can come back and talk about it later. Let's have some food. I'm here with you. Say the positive stuff. I'm with you. I know we can work this out. But I also know we're kind of getting hot. We're getting escalating here. So let's come back. But the trick is you have to come back and not just never talk about it. So that's part of it. You can also be the person who, like you said, with your husband, helps you reach out. Mm-hmm. Here's an, another example that my postpartum doula who saved my life, I remember her, she saying to my husband, you need to understand, she's very direct, you need to understand about Wendy, she's walking around with a tape in her head all the time, all day long that says she's failing, all day long that says she's doing it wrong. So you can be that person to change the tape and say to her, you're getting there, you're okay, this is part of depression. Mm-hmm. There's help out there. Let me help you. And more and more, Erica, we have partners who call our helpline or call the hot, the national hotline in the United States or text us or come to our groups and say, I don't know where to start. She's not ready to talk to you. I need help. So there is all that. And those are just some of the key ways that partners can really get in there and help. Get food. Bring food home. Please bring food home, but don't be upset if she eats a little bit. If she's anxious, she's only going to be grazing. Reach out to organizations, like you said, like Postpartum Support International and other organizations that are, we are absolutely here for partners because partners are part of the recovery. And the more that partners know, the better it is for everyone. And the last thing I want to say about that is, as you wisely pointed out, every parent is vulnerable to depression, anxiety, and the research shows that one out of 10 fathers, men, get actual diagnosable postpartum depression. It's called postpartum because it's a time period, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have to give birth to have depression and be vulnerable in that first year. And that's true for adoptive parents, for people who didn't birth it, for dads, and even for grandparents, right? So when we're talking about dads, one out of 10 of them has a full-on depression Who is he calling? If no one has said, you know, Postpartum Sport International has dad's groups, a men's group, male volunteers, and the hotline and a helpline that can talk to them, they don't even know where to start. Mm -hmm. So many times partners tend to isolate, withdraw, and get cranky. The whole issue, which I know you've talked about recently on your podcast about sex, mm-hmm. is such a hot topic that no one even wants to talk about. And everyone thinks that everyone else is having sex and they're not, right? 
as you've been talking about on the podcast and to be able to normalize that and really have good, you know, facilitation and places you can talk about that, but also understand how can you, if sex doesn't feel right for either one of you, how can you stay connected with intimacy? How can you stay connected physically and just as friends when you have not only just about a new baby in the picture, new baby plus symptoms of mood disorder. One of the symptoms of depression is your libido is gone mm-hmm. or you're hypersexual. And all of this is about having temporary treatable conditions. Mm-hmm. And that's what people need to know. I think about our partners being sort of like the, is it like litmus test or whatever, where Mm -hmm. when our lens becomes distorted in depression, right? Our partner knows us. They have experience of us. So when I started to say things like, I can't do this anymore, or like, nobody cares about me. And my partner is like, I've never heard that before. Like that's kind of, that's concerning, you know, like not concerning, like in a a speaking down to me way, but just like, are you okay? Like that's, that's a new like feeling from you. I've never experienced that before. The partner's role can have just a perspective that mom herself cannot see in the the throes of these moments. Because of the symptoms and you are so right. So just being able to ask, Ideally, not critically. Yeah. Like, what the hell's the matter with you? Like, right. you're not yourself. You've changed. That's why we need families to understand what the symptoms are. So she doesn't seem like herself. There's a reason for it. And it will come back. And I think that that's very disorienting to loved ones, whether they're partners or family. Here's the thing. They see someone that's usually very the center of the room, the center of their world are are usually very strong. They can't find her and it's very scary and disorienting. Mm -hmm. And we always want partners to know you didn't cause it and you actually can't fix it, but you can make it better or worse. Okay. Mm -hmm. So everything Mm -hmm. you do to help toward recovery and help lighten the load will help her find what she needs or help him find what he needs to get to recovery. So I think that not knowing who she is anymore or who he is anymore is really disorienting to everyone. It reminds me to also say a question you didn't ask, but I think it's so great for awareness is what are the risk factors, right? So the more that families understand this, including partners of people going through it, the better. Because when you think about the different factors, it's related to that. But so like being really highly sensitive to hormonal changes is a risk factor Mm -hmm. because that's the physical part of it, right? Not having the housing or food or freedom that you need is part of it. But also a really interesting part, Erica, that I think that you and I really have learned a lot about is those people, especially women, who tend to be really hyper self-reliant, very independent, the person people come to to tell their problems to, the one who just says, I can figure this out, perfectionistic, those people are at higher risk of a perinatal mood disorder. Mm -hmm. It's not people who are used to relying on others or who are even like dependent. They're not at higher risk. And why is that? So you put all these puzzle pieces back together 
the people who are always trying to do everything themselves and perfectionistic and hard on themselves, people who are always there for others but don't know how to reach out, when they go through birth and parenthood, those coping strategies of like, I'll do this myself. I don't need anybody. That's mm -hmm. how I always do things. Mm -hmm. That's not how to have a baby in traditional societies. That's not how to raise a baby. It's not how to get well. I know for myself, the biggest change I made, and I was super verbal and super supported by my partner and my family to do this. The biggest change I made between baby one and baby two and prevented another crisis is guess what? I learned how to ask for help. Mm -hmm. At the end of my postpartum crisis, when I was trying, reaching to try to just not be anxious and depressed and starting to get there. And I remember walking the stroller down the sidewalk and I stopped mid sidewalk and I said to myself out loud, Wendy Davis, if you were meant to do everything by yourself, you would have been born on a planet with no people. Mm -hmm. You got to let people in. It's not a failure, it's a success. And so that's what we need to understand, right? Mm -hmm. Is that it's a time where we have to learn because that risk factor of thinking we should do it ourselves and partners being used to like, well, she's got it. Where'd she go? Yeah. Yeah. And that was largely my experience. And I remember it was at a PSI training. One of the instructors, I can't remember who it was, was talking about how the type of personalities that you keenly are aware of and you watch, you know, like these A-type or perfectionist type, or if it's like you go in the day after birth and their hair and makeup is done and things like that. And I'm like, she's talking about me. <laughs> I was like, I remember the midwives coming in and be like, oh my gosh, you did your makeup today. I'm like, of course I did my makeup today. Like, you know, and it was just like, like that very independent, like I'll do this on my own. And it was on my third maternity leave after three kids back to back. And I was like, I simply cannot, like I just cannot. And it's not a sign of weakness. It takes such courage to ask for help and it takes such strength, but it took me a long time. I, I like, I can't even believe I made it to my third mat leave before having my, like I talk about it as like my colossal like rage, just total meltdown that like, you know, tipped the scale over. I was just so stubborn and wrestling with myself. And that's you what know, I'm saying. Like, You're holding it all together, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like, oh, I'm going to, I have something to prove. I'm like taking motherhood head on and like this real, I don't even know what kind of mentality. Right. And I was really only like hurting myself. And one of the things that you had mentioned about like people calling in and the house being messy and stuff is I remember like the longer that I progressed into this postpartum depression, the more like sloth mode I started to become. Like I, I felt like it just was like shutting down. I don't even know how to describe it. And I would look around and like see people in my family and they'd be like in the room and like they're laughing and they're like standing around and they're just like talking and standing like who has the energy to just stand up and talk? Like yeah. I remember like thinking these thoughts, you know, yeah. and so in that time it disproportionately shifted so much of the care work onto my husband mm -hmm. and I can see how untreated postpartum depression because it also doesn't always resolve on its own and it can continue and be prolonged outside of this period. I can see how if I hadn't got the help, how our dynamic would shift over time because I would be such an under-functioning part of the relationship or like, I don't know, there's a dynamic there that it shifts a partnership a lot and therefore makes our partners more susceptible, doesn't it, to like their own postpartum depression and anxiety. 
but also I think can really change a relationship and a marriage when somebody is, an, is unwell and we don't seek out the support and the help that we need. Right. You are 100% right. And that's why I'm always referring back to in a traditional society, right? Mm. Or in the animal kingdom, mammals, no one has babies alone. Human beings, especially as we get more developed, more civilized, we're really proud of having our own, oh, I got my own space. I got my own apartment. I got my own house. I got my own. But a traditional society had everyone living together and helping each other. So not only is it courageous to reach out and get support and ask for help, it's natural. Mm. And when we've lost that as a culture, we do feel like we can't keep up because, you know, babies would have at least three caregivers in a traditional society. And so I've had so many couples as clients say something to me, and it's so vulnerable, actually. I'll phrase it this way as I'm thinking about one particular person who said, so we were trying to get something done this weekend and the baby was crying and then we were trying to get some food and the food didn't work, you know, everyone's weekend. And we just stood in the garage and looked at each other and said, what's wrong with us? Mm-hmm. And I, again, I want to cry for every couple and every family who thinks, she said, we just looked at each other and said, what's wrong with us? Why can't we do this? People do this. They live lives and they have kids and they have families. You know what? But they say in 12-step programs, don't compare your inside to somebody else's outside. You do not know what people are going through. Everyone's putting on the happy picture that I got this picture. What we really need to do is to get more honest and say, you know, what's the best thing you found to do for quick food and how do you get help and where do I even go? So before we finish, I want to make sure that people know that. When I say there's lots of help available, I'm not making it up. We have helplines that you can call or text. We have people who know what you're going through. So people can call or text Postpartum Support International. There are support groups all over the world. We have volunteers in PSI in over 60 countries Mm -hmm. who are there for parents. And sometimes it just helps to call or come to an online group, all free, of course, with PSI, and come and hear from other people, pregnant, postpartum, and post-loss to say, how'd you do this? So no one needs to feel broken. We just need to feel human. Mm-hmm. Like go back to that original thing that we're actually designed to do, which is learn from one another and say like, how do you even have dinner? Is your house messy? Like, how do you talk to each other? And so how do you get help? Did you go to a therapist and really learn that? I know that you've shared the links and I'm really, really grateful for that because there's so much power and healing in connecting with other people who are going through this and then learning what the resources are. There's online therapy and groups and medication and yoga and nutrition and all kinds of resources available. And another really key thing that I'm so proud of with Postpartum Support International is as we go on and get bigger and more people get better, we have all these specialized groups and specialized coordinators We call them support volunteers, everything from loss to military families to NICU families Mm -hmm. to just pregnancy and postpartum support, queer families, Black Mamas Connect, South Asian moms. Like it just goes on and on, teen and young adult um, moms and fertility challenges. I could go on because it's a long list. So if people go to the website and see 
go to get help and look at support groups, go to get help and see that volunteers in your area, or even just go to the online directory, psidirectory.com, and you can do a search for a therapist or a doula or a support group near you. Mm -hmm. And that's available in the United States and Canada. And there's so many people waiting to help parents, but parents don't know it. Yeah. And I just want those resources to be so out there and to have people know they can reach out. The most important thing I could say is you don't need a diagnosis to reach out for help, mm-hmm. right? Erica, mm-hmm. how long people wait, people like you and me, like, I'm good, I'm good, I got it. I'm not good, I don't have it. Right. Almost all of the calls to us say, I don't even know if I should be calling. Right. Isn't that a funny way to start? Well, it's so true, though, because we have this mindset that I have to be in crisis in order to get like help or no, or that like mental health is only, you know, we only reach out when we're in crisis. And I think like there is so much space in there where we are just really struggling and could intervene so much sooner. And I wish that I had. And I know that so many others wish that as well. There's one last note I want to make before we sign off here. And that is that you touched on rage a little bit. And one of the things that I've I've heard from partners or that I've also even heard from moms is that it's not that I feel a lack of connection with my baby or I'm struggling to bond with them. It's actually that I like hate my husband now. (laughs) (laughs) Or like Mm -hmm. there's actually a book I think called like why I hate my husband since having children. And some of that is the invisible load and ingrained in gender stereotypes and, you know, a lack of support and help in that way. Yes, there is an absolute real part of that. I think another part of that is that the target of our anger and our rage can bounce around. It can be our partner. It can be our husband. It could be our toddler. They're so demanding when we have an infant. It could be our dog that we no longer have tolerance for, you know? And so I say this for both moms and partners is that anger, if it is uncharacteristic of you, the mom or, or of your partner, if, if you're the partner who's listening, like, can we see the need behind the behavior and just see that as a massive red flag, right? And not, not see it as trying to be combative or trying to like see the red flag, see the cry for help behind the anger. And as you had said, Wendy, like if you're a partner, text and call, like, I don't know what to do. She's probably not going to be receptive right now. But like, what do you suggest? Or how might I go about this or something if you don't have the skills or you don't know? Because I've seen what anger in the postpartum can do when it's unrecognized and undiagnosed. And it can really have an impact on relationships that are going through this massive adjustment in the postpartum period, along with our own individual identities, right? So just want to leave that out there as well. Absolutely. Um, Thank you for going back to it. Because I think that If in the world of childbirth and trying to have children, right, in the world of childbearing, perinatal mood disorders, everything from depression to psychosis are kind of the shadow of childbearing, right? It's Mm. the shadow of the conversation. People have a taboo. They don't like to talk about it. They don't know about it. You know, there's a lot of misconceptions and misjudgments. Well, if perinatal mood disorders are the shadow of childbearing, you know what the shadow of perinatal mood disorders is, is anger and rage. Mm -hmm. And it's not until somebody else brings it up that people are courageous enough either to say, I am really going through lots of anger or my partner is going through lots of anger Mm -hmm. because we're really afraid. And I must say sometimes culturally for really, really good reasons. And that is 
especially if minoritized or marginalized person expresses that kind of rage mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. or anxiety, the intrusive thoughts that come with anxiety that are not dangerous, but are, you know, repetitive and scary and thoughts of harm to the baby with no desire to act on them. People are afraid that they'll be reported mm-hmm. and their babies will be taken. That's why organizations like ours and yours are so important to be able to say, one, anger and rage is a symptom of depression. Mm-hmm. Violence is not. Mm-hmm. And once you understand what you said is that if you understand that anger and rage is a symptom of depression, and then you help the person going through it to have coping strategies real coping strategies in the moment when you go into the red zone. We could do a whole other podcast on it. Mm-hmm. And I love talking about it because at the end, anger and rage, especially in the perinatal period, is a result of stress. It's not a result of violence and it's not a result of aggression. Mm-hmm. It is the end result of stress. The pot boils over. It's not that there's too much water in the pot. It's not that there's the wrong ingredients or the pot is angry and aggressive. It just got to have the heat turned down and maybe you put, you get a second pot and pour some water in. And I am impassioned for this because the harm for that anger and rage is not so much that other people get hurt or babies get hurt. It's that it gets internalized. Marriages break up. Mm-hmm. People blame mm-hmm. themselves and even become suicidal because they don't know that they'll ever get better. So you're asking something that I'm just really passionate about understanding. What you said, Erica, is... Maybe if people could take a moment and just think, maybe what's behind the anger? That's the question we should all be asking all the time, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If the anger is coming at you, though, the rage, that's really hard to do. Mm -hmm. So you have to be able, as that person who's seeing the rage for this woman who's never acted like this before, like you said, to say, this is the magic question. As you know, we use this in trauma-informed care as therapists. Not what's wrong with her. The question is, what's happening for her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the question. So if you're a partner and you're seeing this come out from this person that you've never seen before, the question to ask yourself is one, what's happening for them right now? What's happening? And second, what is my best role in this situation right now? Not what's in your head when you're frustrated as the angry person, the person who is angry, or you're scared or frustrated as the person, the victim of it, naturally what goes into our head is what the matter with them. Mm -hmm. If you have the person having those feelings of rage, like, why is he like this? Or why is my toddler doing this? He's going to turn out to be this kind of... No, the question you have to rewind and ask yourself is, what can I do right now to make this moment better? Whether you're the person receiving it or the person feeling it. Take a step back, take a break, and really understand anger and rage is a symptom that will get so much better if you get help, you get breaks, and you get treatment. Mm -hmm. And you know, Erica, people who've had anger problems, let's just say in the past and went to like classes, they do much better with Mm -hmm. postpartum rage. Right. People who've never let out that kind of anger in their lives, who have no coping skills for it. It just jumps right out of them and is a very, very common part of the perinatal experience and one that gets so much better when you talk to other parents. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's such common feedback is I was never angry before I had kids. I'm such a monster. I didn't even know I could be this angry. I've never felt this way. I've never raised my voice even before or whatever are all comments I hear all the time. So they don't know what to do in that moment because no one ever taught them. But you know what? Those coping strategies for anger are super teachable. And if you are listening right now and you're that person who finds yourself welling up and yelling at people or throwing things, these skills are super teachable. Mm -hmm. And you have to ask yourself, not what's the matter with me? Who did I become? Ask yourself, what's happening for me? Mm. Where do I get help? Mm -hmm. I guarantee you that if you call or text Postpartum Support International, or you come to our support group on Facebook, we have one for moms, one for dads now, which is so cool. You will be among people who 100% understand you, will not judge you, and will give you all their tips, whether it's splash cold water on your face, take a breath, count to 10, look at the colors. I'm telling you, it's teachable, and what you're experiencing is stress, not aggression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually, Psyched Mommy and I have a course on rage. We call it All the Rage, and we teach a whole curriculum on how to manage this activation and stress response. Because as you said, many of us have never been taught these skills, but they are skills that can be learned if we can break out of the shame to acknowledge and and seek the help and acknowledge you know, that we're not broken. We just need to call in some reinforcement. We have some skills we need to learn. And once we can get past that, these skills can be learned and they can be practiced. Yeah, it's it's a crash course, this motherhood gig. Holy smokes. But <laughs> thank you so much, Wendy, for your time and for being here. If someone's never navigated PSI before, Postpartum Support International, where's the best place for them to start? Well, partly depends on where you are and what your tools are. So if a computer or phone is accessible to you, just go to the website postpartum.net and it will literally guide you to everything else. If you're in the U.S. or Canada, you can call the helpline 800-944-4773, which is 944-4PPD. You can call or text and we have volunteers in English and Spanish and we look for other languages by request. So that helpline in North America is a great, great place to start Mm -hmm. or the website. If you're outside of United States or Canada, then go online and you could still go to the website, but you're going to find a lot of access through Facebook and Instagram and our support groups, right? So those are accessible. If it matches your time zone, you can go to support groups from anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, So On social media, we're at Postpartum Support International, and we also have a Spanish Facebook. We have a Facebook from Brazil. We're just growing and growing all the time, and we're also on Instagram at Postpartum Support International. Twitter is at Postpartum Help, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's the place to start, but remember this. If you don't know, if you look at it, it's overwhelming or you don't know where to go, then send us a message Mm -hmm. because our volunteers and our staff We just literally are here every day waiting for people to say, what's next? Where do I go? Am I going to get through this? We are here with people like you, Erica, to create a safety net that goes back to that original thing. We are a community and we're going to help each other get better faster. And to remember, like PSI has a motto, you're not alone. You're not to blame. And with help, you will be well. 
and remember that subtitle. You don't need a diagnosis to reach out for help. Mm -hmm. We'll help you figure out, navigate that. Yeah. We'll link all of the resources in the show notes and blog posts from this episode. And we link to you and tag you often for, I know you do. <laughs> for, for everyone to find your resources. And thank you for your time today and for being here. You are so welcome. And thank you again for the work you do. You just do beautiful work in the world and you are making such a difference. Thank you so much. Wasn't that such a great conversation with Dr. Wendy? You really get a feel for how genuine and passionate she is about the work that she does. And every time I speak with her or hear her speak, I learn so much. I learn something new every single time. If you were listening to this interview and any of it resonated for you, that you feel that you are struggling, whether it's with rage or postpartum depression or not feeling like yourself and you can't quite put your finger on it, I encourage you to book in with one of our mom therapists in our wellness center. Head to happyasmother.co slash wellness to learn more. And if you're international, check out all of the resources that Postpartum Support has to offer as they are endless and they are free and they are a great jump off point to get you plugged into the services that you need. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week, where Susie Allison, the busy toddler, is joining us to kick off our back to school series. You do not want to miss this episode on kindergarten readiness. I'll see you next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast. To join the Happy as a Mother VIP list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies, head to happyasamother.co slash newsletter. Until next episode, Mama, I want you to know, keep showing up, you're doing an amazing job.